This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Sky Blues Extra. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast with me, David Moore, Andrew Greasley, and a very, very special guest. Born in Coventry, he made his debut in a thrilling 4-1 victory over local rivals Aston Villa at the age of just 16 and was the youngest Premier League debutant at the time. He went on to have two spells with the Sky Blues, amassing over 200 appearances and scoring 60-plus goals. Listeners, have you guessed who it is yet? Maybe this clip will help. McSheffery on his outside, tries to left for the left foot, and Gary McSheffery has scored his second goal for Coventry City this season with a quite excellent left-footed drive into the bottom corner. Johnson, lovely play. McSheffrey, crisply done, and Coventry have their noses in front. That's a beautiful bit of skill by Gary McSheffrey. He's hit round a tackle from Ian Roper, and he's given the ball into the net with absolute delicious aplomb. Coventry City are running riot. In possession. It is, of course, the Coventry kid, Gary McSheffrey. Gary, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure all of our listeners at home will be enjoying listening to your memories and more over the next hour or so. Evening, Dave. Evening, Andy. Can I just say, to begin with, though, you've cut me short straight away there. It's actually 72 goals, 281 appearances. <laughs> right, that's it. I'm going to file a complaint with it. Is it Wikipedia? I got it off and I've obviously gone to the wrong place. So um, apologies. Poor research. Poor research. <laughs> Apologies for that. That's okay. 
Gary, you grew, you grew up with a stone's throw away from Highfield Road, or shall we say a Richard Shaw's shot away from Highfield Road. Um, what's your earliest football memories of watching uh, the Sky Blues at Highfield Road? And um, what's your favourite match? Um, my, my early memories are always, when I was too young to go, you know, the match days, just seeing fans walking past the house, front window, uh, having to put cones out for me, old man so his parking space didn't get nicked um, stuff like that really and then when I was probably about seven seven or eight I think seven I'd say I, I remember going to a, a game and standing in the cop and it was Coventry versus Spurs pretty sure Gascoigne played and I'm sure Lloyd McGrath kicked him all over the pitch it was that there that's the first memory I have really of Highfield Road and then a couple Couple of years later, I really I started going re- uh, regularly. Sat in the um, was it the Mitchells and Butler stand? Oh yeah, where the away yeah. fans used to be. Yeah, not, yeah, but just to, to the left, so down yeah. there, down there. So opposite where the tunnel was, opposite where they used to come yeah. out in in the tunnel, the the yeah. new yeah I the new the new well. tunnel. We used, yeah. we used to sit in that part actually. Yes, yeah, so we used to sit there and uh, yeah, and no, I just started going regularly then from probably probably nine ten. And do you have a favourite game, Gary? Does one stick in your mind? And um, there's a there. There was a few. There was a few because, believe it or not, as as a kid, you always tend to like your first your first team. You kind of follow is the, always tends to be the first football shirt you get. And yeah. I remember my, my dad bringing me home a Liverpool one, Candy, and uh, Candy was a sponsor. <clears throat> yeah, I remember. Uh, that so so, yeah, so, sure so I used so then I just used to always follow Liverpool, look out for Liverpool. But then the big t- the turning point. The turning point, I think I was probably I was probably eleven or twelve, and it was I'd say early early nine early to mid nineties, and I, I remember Coventry playing Liverpool at Highfield Road, and we won six one. Brian Burrow scored a free kick. I think he scored a couple that day. Really was good goal. Mickey Quinn as well. Mickey Quinn, yeah. Jamie yeah, yeah. Jamie Redknapp scored a great goal for Liverpool. But yeah, I remember it. Yeah, I, fa- I found myself jumping at all the Cov goals from that day. It just it it, it stuck then and. Then I was I was Coventry. I always looked out for Liverpool, but that was that was the probably the big game that stuck out. And then after that, it was the Cov Manu game when Huckabee scored the winner late on. That was the era that like nineties era for me. We had some great players, and it was it was a pleasure growing up as a Cov fan back then. You know, watching some of them great players in that era. It was yeah. I remember like my first game was uh, ninety six against Chelsea. You know, when Rude Hullet was playing for Chelsea and Whelan scored for us and. In that era, like you said, the players that were there were just international class, weren't they, Gary? They were just fantastic to watch, weren't they? Yeah, they were top draw, you know. We're going on to like the next, well, my, my Sky Blue sort of heroes growing up. Mm. The, the, the start of the era was probably watching the likes of Kevin Gallagher. Uh, oh, yeah. And then Peter Unlove would, would come in and got introduced and he just took it up another level for me. And then, and then when I was at an age then as a teenager and I was playing at the centre, well, it used to be the centre of excellence. It only become the academy when I started as a scholar. But when I was at the centre of excellence and you'd go up to the training ground and you'd see the first team train, then we signed Huckabee. That was the difference for me. That was when it really went up a level and, and I was just fascinated. And he just, he his pace and his direct play and his, his he was a good finisher as well, one-on-ones. He, sometimes he was erratic, a lot, offside a lot, but mm. it's because he just lived on that line and, and you know, he was... He gambled and he had that much pace that he could have given defenders a yard or two and stayed on side. But he just lived on that line and honestly, so exciting to watch when I was a kid. 
Yeah, he was. So, he had such massive self belief, didn't he, Hawks? Yeah, he did. I think he he was just a very raw, off off the cuff type player. And then mm. uh, when I then when I then joined as a scholar, I seen kind of like the work that Gordon Strachan kind of invested the time he invested into Huckabee on the training ground was was good you know he taught him you don't have to make long runs big runs it's just one one step towards the ball and then spin you know staying on side playing on shoulders peeling off shoulders and it was always are you pinning are you pinning are you making penetrating runs and I think he I think Strachan took Hooks's game intelligence up yeah. to, to to have the career he had in the end because he come to Coventry and he was he was he was class. He was exciting, but at times he was making repetitive mistakes when he a lot of offsides, a lot of errors. But mm. I think Strachan got a good game intelligence into him, and it set him up for the rest of his career. So you'd say, Gary, that was like one of your sort of heroes watching him growing up. Was there was there anyone else that used to sort of imitate in the garden when you were a bit a bit younger? Or was it did they tend to be maybe not Coventry players even? It was it was always Coventry or or Liverpool and uh, Robbie Fowler. Bobby Fowler was top draw when he John Barnes was class. Um, yeah. But, but then at that same era as Huckabee, Michael Owen jumped on the scene as well, didn't he? And it yeah. was Michael Owen for for five years was just unbelievable. Electric, um, wasn't he? Unbelievable. Yeah, he was he was ridiculous. And then he pulled that hamstring and nowadays that hamstring would have got surgically repaired and four or five months later you'll be back with a brand new hamstring if you like. And to to go on and play the career he had with Two Such of, an injury. Only, yeah. only two of the three hamstring muscles actually, actually like working. It was yeah, I, di- I didn't I didn't realize that until I heard an interview he had on BT. If you uh, might have been early on this season. Yeah, I think uh, I saw that. Yeah, and to you, you realize now how he lost that yard of pace, don't you? But he was him and Huckabee in that era, and Robbie Fowler. They just got me fascinated and hooked, and that's all I wanted to. All I wanted to do was be try and be as good as them. You played in the last, obviously, last game at Highfield Road, the 6-2 win against Derby. Uh, you scored twice, one first goal after 20 minutes. Do you have some favourite Highfield Road fixtures you, fe- you featured in, Gary? Any major ones apart from that one? Well, obviously, obviously that one's probably up there. It's definitely up there, the whole, the whole occasion, the whole day to score mm-hmm. two. The only thing I'm good about is... I, 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 didn't get didn't go on to get a hat trick, you know that would have just <laughs> yeah, been. You were going to say that, yeah. That would have just been the icing on the cake for me. Yeah. And to get two 0 up and have scored both, I was, I was certain I was going to take the match ball home that day. But for whatever reason, it never happened. And uh, in the end, we shared the goals out, and it was it was a great day. There was another one I remember was my first goal there. I think it was at, against Sheffield in a two one win at the start of the season. Myself and Jay Boffroyd scored. And it was the winning goal, and that that was one that sticks in my mind. But it's quite a long time ago now, to be honest. Wasn't it? What, so, what was he like, Gary? Jay Boffroyd. Jay was all right. You had to kind of like. He's you a bit to, like Marmite, isn't he? Yeah, you had to know him. You had to know yeah. him. To, you had to know him to know that he was harmless and yeah. a lovely, a lovely lad. He was mm. from. Um, he come up from Islington, and he was had a bit of a chip on his shoulder and an arrogance <laughs> and, a, and a confidence and a swagger, and we hadn't really seen that type before round our ways you know you either like you say love him or hate him but we we took him under our wing as a as a family for a little bit he stayed at our house for a little bit he was a great player though his, his left foot was unbelievable but he he just had that lazy lazy aura about him didn't he he's still playing now in japan you know he's, oh, is he? he's 30 he's 38 in may 
and he's still he's still playing in in the top league in Japan for the last three or four years. So he's went, he's had a good career, and uh, I think the penny I think the penny dropped for him at probably mid twenties because he had he had everything, but he was not really fulfilling it. And then for me, he had a four or five year spell where he was really really good. Got his England cap, really good for Wolves, Cardiff. Penny seemed to drop, and he's still playing. So he's he must he lives right, and he's he's had a long a lot of longevity in his career. Yeah, a lot of Cov fans don't have much time for him, do they? Because it didn't really work out for him at Cov. Like you said, he's had a decent career out of it, and he, he was such a talented lad. You could see that even playing for Cov. He's, like you said, his left foot was like a wand, wasn't it? So Yeah, it was. But, it was. but like I say, you have to know him to like him, do you know what I mean? And you mentioned there, Gary, that obviously it's some bit difficult sometimes to go back right to the start. But I'm going to ask you, obviously, about your debut now, uh, which you made at 16 and, and broke records. I think it was Aaron Lennon, uh, four years or so later, I think, that come on the scene that maybe broke that record. But what was that like to do at, at Villa Park and, you know, against the local rivals? Yeah, it was It was obviously really good. It was, it was surreal. I mean, the night before we had an FA Youth Cup game at Highfield Road. I think it was against Sheffield and we were we were four up and I'd scored two and I got subbed after about an hour and I was fuming. I was like coming <laughs> off coming off and I remember Richard Money and George Mackey and they were really good coaches by the way. They really nurtured as well in the youth team and there. But they knew I had a bit of a drop on at times, you know, if, if you if you knew you were playing well and you got bought off. So uh, they could see my face was frowning a bit and they told me to get the frown off my face because I was travelling with the first team the next day and Strachan had phoned down and pulled me off and you know said I was going to be involved in the game. So to get to get that news was just you know unbelievable. And then me and Chris Kirkland, Chris Kirkland played as well, and we went and joined the first team squad at the Forest of Arden Hotel that evening. Stayed there and it was just I couldn't really sleep. It was just all a bit. Just all a bit crazy, and then yeah, the next day, the next day to get on the bus, I was sitting off, sitting opposite um, Mo Konyak on the bus. Mo was a nice fellow, and he was just making me feel really comfortable. Yeah, the only dis- I suppose I'm nitpicking a bit, but we went four-one up, I think, in about the 82nd minute. At that stage, I was fearless, and I knew that if I'd have got probably 10-15 minutes on the pitch, I'd have fancied myself to score. I ended up getting probably one-two minutes at the end, and it was. Don't get me wrong, it was it was great, but looking back, I'd have loved to have got a ten minutes or so. Was there a senior pro that used to take you under your wing? Was and what was his advice if there was one? Joining in with the first team so young, and then there was a few of us that used to train quite a lot with them. Myself, Craig P, Tom Cudworth, Rob Betts. There was quite a few of us that whenever there was one or two needed, they'd just call us over and we'd go and train. And so got to know quite a few of them quite well early on and, and mm. plus the fact plus the fact that we were all under the one roof at the sky blue lodge it was really good for um our upbringing our getting some resilience the old school way if you like and getting disciplined really into the into the career that we were going to have you had good pros you know one thing Strachan had for me was he had a good dressing room of pros that mm. probably probably ran the dressing room themselves really gary McAllister, for example you know you'd you didn't have to tell him how to live his life, did you? And Strachan didn't have to tell him how to like ping a ball and stuff because he was top draw. Richard Shaw, good pros. Gary Breen, they, you know, they were all good with us. And I think because when we went over and trained with them, because we were like, you know, back we we were we had, we were a decent youth team, and yeah, 
because we went in there and we could hold our and we could deal with a football straight away from senior pros you get a bit more respect i think and, and they, know, they know you're not going over there and you're gonna ruin the session so when they see you're actually got a bit and our youth team will get into youth cup finals and doing well in the leagues etc they did mix with us a bit and uh I'd say Gary McAllister, Shazabrini, Marcus Hall, Gavin Strachan, the young pros, they they were all they were all really good with us. Paul Williams? Yeah, Willow. Willow was like again, once you got to know him, yeah. he was he was sound, but before yeah. before that we were scared of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I can was, imagine. If, yeah. if you if you did his boots wrong, you know what I mean? If if his boots were wet before training and Fuming. you hadn't done them after yesterday's session, so they dried overnight. <laughs> He was fuming, yeah. Obviously, he had a couple of loan spells at Luton and Stockport. Um, I think Luton, you achieved promotion with them as well, which was, I bet that was great. How did that help with your development? And obviously, you spent a bit of time in Sweden as well, didn't you? Is it AK Braga, was it? Bragg or something like yeah. that? Yeah. So okay. how, how did those three loan spells help your development? So AK Braga come first. That was yeah. uh, during my second year as a scholar, as an apprentice. I had a niggly, niggly injury that... I had for I had for ages and I, and I got on with it and I got on with it and I played and I ended up not training, playing games, not training, playing games. And then I come back the next season, I think it was probably my like first year pro age and I still had these niggling injuries and it kept, I had surgery on both, both hips, both IT bands and they were, they were like a 10 to 12 week rehab on each one. So I was out for basically six months. So what happened was Richard Money, had a contact in Sweden. We we had a couple of Swedish lads in the youth team and their agent put, put me into a club in Sweden because they play like the summer league, don't they? And um, I went over there for three months to IK Prague. It's like the equivalent of the championship. It was a tough one really because it's, I was, I was, it's a big old country with not, not a lot of people, to be honest, in terms of the size of the country. Yeah. Um, yeah. To go out there at 18 on my own and I was promised this, I was promised uh decent apartment I was promised a decent car I was promised this promised that and you get there and it was like it, it was it wasn't what it said on the tin anyway and uh <laughs> like a package what, one thing it probably did was um it made me desperate to want to come back and want to uh, I was hungry to come back and be successful although it was good and the lads were good technically good players I just wanted to be I wanted to be home really I got a bit homesick I was probably out there two months and then I asked to come back because the pre-season was starting uh, initially Gordon Shack said no you're out there to play games get on with it and yeah. I was like okay no worries so my mum and dad come out for a little bit and my brother two weeks later I said to Richard Money come on Rich get me home I just want to come I don't want to miss any pre-season you know I, I want to hit the ground running I'm yeah. fit and he pulled me back to be fair and yes yeah, I come back hit the ground running and did well pre-season it was a good experience in my development because you know taught me to grow up a little bit and um, first time I'd moved away from home the Stockport one come about I think Roland Nilsson and Richard Money took the first team didn't they Stockport were bottom of the championship so it was the same league so they wanted to test me in the same league Carlton Palmer just got the Stockport job I went there for a month and uh I was big Carlton Carlton was he was he was he listen he was all right he was he was <laughs> very um very different he's got a good banter in it yeah, he's a he's a rare he's a rare breed to be honest. He's a he's a good fella. Um, but I, yeah, I went there for a month. I got my first professional goal there at Burnley away, which was which was pleasing. But what that what that taught me when I come back is that 
physically I was nowhere near ready to play yeah. men's football yeah. two and two and three games a week and uh, it, I really kind of focused on trying to get some in in a decent physical shape and then the, by the time the next loan yeah the next loan at Luton was under Gary McAllister I'd had a, I think I'd had a decent start to a season with Gary McAllister I remember getting eight goals by like end of September beginning of October then for the second half of the season I was in and out didn't play much and that's when at the end of the season he kind of said chat to your agent you can look for another club we won't ask for a fee etc I don't have an agent so I remember there was seven or eight of us in that boat he wanted a, he wanted a bit of a clear out and get new players in mm-hmm. and that's when I went on loan to start, uh, to Luton at the start of that season Luton was unbelievable for me you know it put me on the map three, three months there I think it was 18 games nine or ten goals Played well, got my confidence back and then got an injury while I was there, but I was playing through it. I was just grinding through it because I knew I was, you know, I didn't want to miss anything. And then when I come back to Coventry, I actually had to have 10 days in the, in the treatment room with Michael McBride because I I tore the hamstring at, the, at where it inserts into my knee at the side and uh, just needed a bit of a bit of a breather on it. And, and at that point, that's the point when um, Gary McAllister had to step down because of personal reasons. It was his wife, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was his wife that was ill, and yeah. do you know what? Gary was—he was sound with me. You know, he was—he was fine. He was honest. No, there was never any grudges there, and mm-hmm. I think I—I I think I responded in the right way, probably how he wanted me to respond because he was going to chuck me straight back in, but because of my injury, it had to wait a bit. He chucked Julian Joachim in, Eric Black chucked me, and then when I was fit, and the rest is history. Really. I went on to have probably three and a half seasons of real real good performance level consistent football for me you said about Coventry managers there Gary and, and obviously you've played under a fair a fair few of them you did mention Gordon Strachan and, and I know you would have been young at the time but what was he like as a, a manager you've already spoke about how he sort of nurtured Darren Huckabee um, but yeah what was he like as a sort of a manager on and off the pitch as kids, we feared him. You know, we, we feared him. The youth team. It was one of them. You, if he was walking down the corridor, we wouldn't we wouldn't speak until we get spoke <laughs> Head to. Master. Yeah, he just had this aura about him where if he went and trained, it was like he, he, his demos were so good that he test you. He, he was always testing you. Gordon Strachan was always testing you mentally. And in training, if if he showed if he was doing a demo or something, he'd fizz a ball in, and he could he could fizz a ball in a yard off the ground for 40 yards not a problem about bouncing if your touch weren't spot on oh, he could make you he could make you crumble and you you focus that much on the ball I've seen him make grown men crumble with because he'd do it again until you get it right and I've seen people do it three or four times and uh, they just want the sort of ground to swallow them up yeah exactly yeah um, he knew the game he was he knew football inside out and I think he it was a good I think it was a good era Coventry under under himself for a few years um, like I said one of the most exciting teams we've had um, yeah. great great dressing room players there's no hiding it he was he was tough he was tough on us the youngsters he was very tough I mean Hawks he put a lot of time into Hawks but he was a first team player and yeah. you know he bought, bought him in and invested a lot of time into him and uh, I remember one occasion me and Stephen McPhee played in a res- reserve game and we played really well when I know, when I come off the pitch, I know if I've played well or not. And me and Stevie played really well that night. He hammered us after for just passing to each other. He said, "Just passing <laughs> to each other." So the next day, the next day we didn't train. He said, "You're not training tomorrow." Pulled us in his office in the morning, and uh, chucked his keys at us. We had to wash eight cars that day. <laughs> 
instead of training. And we, we were just like, we couldn't believe it. It was that, honestly, we, we were laughing about it. It was that, it was that unbelievable because we knew we played all right. But I think he, like I said, it was always kind of testing you. Yeah, uh, the spirit and how much yeah. you wanted it. And... Just, yeah, testing your character. And uh, yeah. I think that was probably an, another one. So we just got on with it and washed cars. And You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Coming back from Luton and uh, Mickey Adams took charge. And like you said earlier, you had a great spell about three seasons scoring a lot of goals for the Sky Blues on a regular basis. How did he get the best out of you, Gary? Mickey was just, he was, he was just good. Like, he was just a decent fella. Um, he had, he brought in um, Corky with him as well, Alan Cork. He inherited Adrian Heath as well, didn't he? And yeah. yeah. Adrian he was a player, Adrian Heath. See, Adrian Heath was really good for me. Invested a lot of time into me on the training pitch. Just tidied up my technique. Tidied up my crossing, where to cross, when to take on a player. You know, he used to teach me not to get too close to the player because I weren't really one of them players that had a, a trick in the locker. I was just like no. a... I was just like a drop the shoulder, shift it and, and see you later. But he taught me to do that before you get too close to a defender. Don't show them the ball. And then Mickey was really good with my finishing because there was a spell when I was hitting the ball over quite a lot, leaning mm. back. And Mickey just got me out there relentlessly and drilled it into me to, to start hitting the target more. But with Mickey, I think he just simplified things, you know. He simplified it well. It was nothing... He used to say, he used to love this one, it's not rocket science, you know. It's, I think he was good. For me personally, he was a good man manager and got the best out of me. And, and you, can only, you can only go off, you can only talk about people on how they treated you, can't you? And uh, since, since Coventry, like, he's had a couple of spells where <clears throat> players have been in a bomb squad and they've hammered him in the press and stuff. But for me personally, he was, he was very good, top draw quite old school in a way and ran us quite a lot but you know we we felt we felt fit and just felt like you had a purpose and then he like I say the three of them the three of them were all sound and invested a lot of time into me so you know I think that showed on the pitch. Gary you obviously also played during Stephen Presley's reign um, and there's a few of you and, and others that sort of trained away from the first team that must have been like a real hard to, to deal with at the time I know that you've speak, spoken before about at the time you trained with players like James, James Madison and you could see the youngsters but yeah what was what was that like and then also could you just tell that Madison was was a bit special um, so initially I remember Steve getting the job and I remember playing three games, first three games, and he pulled me in his office and said, "Listen, I've been delighted with your performance levels. I, I'm I'm surprised at your work rate, how how hard you work." So I was thinking, I'm not sure who he's been talking to, but obviously he's coming <laughs> in. He's coming in with a picture of me that's probably someone that doesn't work hard. And then we went to Portsmouth the next game and we lost two nil. And I missed a pen in the fifth minute at Port. Uh, Portsmouth away anyway and that's when so he, he pulls me after that game on the Thursday we trained throughout the week and he pulled me on the Thursday and I just said that he was going to leave me out of the team on the Saturday etc and, and started digging into my personal life a little bit and probably just trying to find out more about me but then from then on I didn't play I didn't play again and the, the last game of the season I was involved at the Rico with him um, 
towards the end of the game, he was screaming at me to get warm. I was on the bench screaming at me to get warm. And I'm kind of looking at him thinking, no. And uh, <laughs> he, he screamed, and I'm like, you've made three subs. You know, I can't come on. So I, I didn't know whether he was like, I don't know. I didn't know whether he was trying to be funny about it or he was just that stuck in the game that he forgot, you know. But yeah. I just felt, listen, he, he was all he was all right. I had a couple of chats with him at times and he was sound enough. But then the way, I think he was quite disrespectful, the way he did it in pre-season where mm-hmm. we, we we basically weren't even allowed to come to the training ground. And yeah. I, look back, I look back now, when I reflect on it, I think, I look back now and I want to I wanna have a good word with myself because although we went and trained with the youth team for eight weeks and Gregory Oak was brilliant, like I said, seeing all the kids coming through that were good players, I look at myself and think, you know, for what, for the service I give the club to yeah. to not even be able to do a pre-season and get in shape for my next club, you know, a proper shape and be ready to hit the ground running, then it, it was just a bit disrespectful to me and six or seven of the players. You know, had 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 my time again, I'd have turned up to training ground and just just training. Yeah, I'd have just trained. I'd have just trained, and uh, you know, what could they do? What could they realistically do? Yeah. But then, um, so that's I'm annoyed with myself that way. But I, I, but then on reflection as well, I look at the position he was probably in. I think there was probably seven or eight players. We got relegated to the League One, obviously, and didn't bounce straight back up. So there was there was seven or eight of us on on good money for that league. Yeah. He must have had an ultimatum. Look, you can probably yeah. you can keep three. I think the rest have got to go. And if that's if that's how it is, that's fine. Listen, that's fine. I understand that. Especially now, reflecting, I'm a bit more old and a bit more mature. I just feel he could have went about it a different way. But in saying that, his decision making in who he did keep in his squad, Bakes, Joe Murphy, Leon Clark, they all produced for him that season. To be fair, had, had good seasons and. Uh, you know, so his, his decision making on it was was good, but I just think the way he went about it could have just been a bit more respectful about it. You know, yeah, I think about you know, think about just normal people in any work of life, any office environment. It, you couldn't imagine that to be happening any anywhere else, really. It, from my from my you know opinion, really. So it's a bit odd, and like you say, it would have been a, a good chance to have got match fit, match ready, and, and be ready for for no you know pastures new or, or what have you. Yeah, and no, that was the disappointing thing, not being able to play a game, really. Like I say, we trained at Warwick uh, Uni with a youth team every day. And there was some good, yeah, Madison, he, he was tidy, he was a good little play. You could see he needed to fill out and develop the physical attributes, but he shot up to like six foot before you know it, didn't he? And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a great athlete now. And Ben Stevenson was good. You know, you had, um, you had four or five, you had George Thomas. Yeah. You had uh, Baker Richardson up top as well with Madison. Yeah, Khan Harris, good players, good, good players. Ivor Lawson was a good player as well. He captained that team. Um, so it was it was good. And like I say, Gregory Up was really good with us. Um, we trained we trained hard, we trained properly, but we we didn't do a double session in preseason. That's how crazy it was. Me yeah. and Steve, myself and Stephen Jennings were going to the Warwick Uni gym every afternoon and training, doing a bit extra on our own, but it's not the same, you know, and to not get a minute of football from April until I went to Chesterfield in September you know it 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 took its toll really it took me a while to get going again probably uh, Stephen Presley won't be on this list Uh, do you have a favourite manager during your um, Coventry time Gary Um, yeah there's a few I'd say there's a few Mickey Adams was was good for me you know he was he was I got on well with him and he he got the best out of me Eric Black was good you know he, he got my 
he chucked me back in at the end of the day when he didn't have to. And like I say, got my Cov career back on track and got going again. And then obviously I worked with him again at Birmingham a few years later. And oh, yeah, of course you did, yeah. Eric's kind of like, Eric's discipline and his professionalism and his approach to everything, approach to training, the detail of it, it was like nothing I'd seen. It was you could tell he'd probably worked in Germany and France and played, you know, yeah. played played abroad and got them different cultures to him because he was, you know, really elegant about how he did things and, and knowledgeable. Um, and then and then also I I got on well with Adi Bouvard as well. He brought me back the second time. And yeah. as a man, you know, you won't meet you won't meet a better man than him. He's he's such a nice fella, real good man manager, and you know, almost like a manager stroke sports psychologist at times. We we had uh, Andy Morrell on recently, uh, and he, you mentioned that you're a bit of a prankster, perhaps when you were younger around the training ground. Was there was there any sort of truth in that? And was there anyone else that was at the time that was a bit of a joker on the training ground? Any sort of funny training ground stories? Like I said, because we were all under the same roof, and you know we 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 had a lot of local kids coming through the youth team and that, and uh, we we all grew up together. It was. A lot of the things was like daring each other to do stuff, really. But we <laughs> like uh, not dry. Uh, what's name's boots? <laughs> oh, well, just 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 silly things. But I mean, yeah, we were always up to little things that were just just yeah, just just pranks, just banter. I can't really remember everything, but no. um, there was one good one that we did. Uh, it was it was like first year pro age, I think second year pro. This was going back to myself, Craig Peed. And our best mate was Tom Cudworth, who captained our youth team. He he went on to join the, the police the police force. So uh, he was doing the training at the police academy in um, Wrightham. So he used to what he used to do he used to park his car in the connection next door to the lodge. And we were probably about twenty now, probably second year pro age, something like that. And uh, so one day we decided to nick his car, and uh, <laughs> we put it in my garage, left it in there for a couple of days. And his dad was a copper as well. And they were um, they were searching Coventry for about <laughs> a, a day and a half, and uh, that was probably the best one we've done. But yeah, we we had to. Um, his old man really wanted to just fill us in after that. It was <laughs> it was funny, but you know, looking back, it was hilarious. But at the time, at the time, we couldn't. We we had to hide from him for a few weeks. You took part in many pre seasons under different types and managers, um, Gary. Who was the hardest taskmaster, and who was the most relaxed in pre season? pre-seasons I'd, I'd probably say Mickey Adams was because Mickey we used to run on a Tuesday with Mickey as well so we'd train on a Tuesday and do some running during the season as well and it was always tough it was only 10 minutes 15 minutes it was always tough so Mickey was training was hard training was tough but at the same time as well we'd, we'd go away I remember going away a couple of times and we were in America and stuff and he was relaxed as well off the pitch you know he'd let us have a couple of beers here and there and just downtime you know so Again, pro- probably him on both on both topics, really. Hard trainer, but left left the serious stuff out there on the grass, and then afterwards you you could just chill and have a laugh, you know. So you wouldn't be too bothered if you went out for a beer. No, not really. We were in. I remember we were in Portland, and we were sampling a few of you know, like the local beers. It was the first time I drank, you know, them cloudy beers and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it was good. That was that was a really good trip. Richard Shaw seemed to be a really vocal part of the dressing room. Was there any other big characters during your time? Sort of what were they like? And, and what was Richard Shaw like as a as a you know someone growing up and, and playing with? Yeah, Shaw was always like a role model because, like I say, when I was going watching 
as a as a kid in secondary school. He was obviously one of the centre backs, him and Willow, and always reliable when he hard good one v one hard read the game well and loved the slide tackle and you know he was always good but then aggressive as well on the pitch but nicest fellow off it you'd ever meet and so yeah he was he was he was a big character um Doyle was always a big character you know for such a for such a little like streaky midfielder he, <laughs> he didn't half didn't half put it about and you'd know you'd, you'd know you'd had a game against him at, you know whoever he played against and he was the same in training as well, but off the pitch, like nicest lad you'll ever meet. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how nice he is off the pitch. You know, we've yeah. we've been on holiday, we've been on lads' holidays at the end of seasons before, and we used to always see Shozo and John Eustace in Marbella, and you just wouldn't believe it. Pe- people from other clubs would be saying to me, "What? Why are you on holiday with Doyle? Like, why, why are you on holiday with him? You know, he's this, he's that," and I'm like. Now you've got him all wrong, mate. You just that's him on the pitch. Off the pitch, he's the nicest fella ever. And everyone would say the same once they get to know him, you know. Then there was there was also the likes of Steve Staunton was a great pro, you know, experienced pro. Yeah, um, of course. Mickey Adams brought Don Hutchinson in, who was who was good crack, good player, good banter as well, but had seen and done it all as well. Dennis Wise, you know, big, big, yeah. big, big character. And then in my second stint you had like the new era of players. You had like the type, the likes of um, Westwood, who was vocal, a good character, who went on to have a really good career. And Keo, you know, Keo come from Carlisle and he'd, he'd already got player of the year at Carlisle, I think, for two seasons on the spin. Then he come to Coventry and got it for probably two. Was he, was he here for yeah. two, two or three? Yeah. And then, and then he went to Derby and got it for about three on the, I think he got player of the <laughs> yes. year for about seven years on the spin. I remember his first game at the Rico when he pressed, pressed, pressed and closed down, pressed the back pass and took one in the face off the goalie, didn't he? And from that moment, the fans just adored him and loved him. Just That was from right back. But since he went to centre-half, he was like a Rolls-Royce. And uh, yeah, so, so there was there was some real good characters that I played with during both stints. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Obviously, um, Andy Morrell talked about Peggy Arthaxed's dreadful yellow T-shirt he used to wear to training. Who had the worst uh, dress sense in the changing rooms, Gary? Well, I think I think I think Andy's letting himself off the hook a little bit, to be honest. Because <laughs> do you remember when when Gap come out? I remember Andy had like the Gap the Gap hoodies in nearly every colour. Literally, <laughs> all he wore was Gap hoodies and a pair of scruffy baggy jeans and some <laughs> some uh, some of them Morelli, Morelli pumpy trainer things. <laughs> um, and then in the second stint, Freddie Eastwood he had. 
he had four gear, tightest jeans ever, the biggest like Nike Air Max trainers or or whatever, and, and it was always a a hoodie and a, a rascal Proper hoodie. Gelled hair as well, weren't yeah, slick, slicked slicked hair, loads of Proper. loads of aftershave on, but such a good lad, funny lad, big prankster he was on the on the was it? the second time round, yeah. What was he like as a player, Gary? I was some days in training, I, unstoppable, really was. He had such a hammer shot on him, you know. Once he connected, you weren't stopping it, and yeah. could shift the ball. He was electric off the mark. His pace off the mark was so sharp. I just don't think he was ever in like the real tip-top shape to to carry to carry that weight for how quick he was. I think he was always going to get niggles, you know, with having a let extra bit of timber on. And had he had he really knuckled down and probably sorted his diet out, he, he could have had a lot longer in the game for me. Yeah, because I remember we signed him and we were like, all the fans were like really expecting of him and we were expecting massive things from him. And I think he scored obviously a few goals for us, but then he just tailed off, didn't he? Yeah, it was just the consistency, wasn't it? The, le- the consistency level was mm. doing it on a regular basis. But in, in spells, yeah, he was... He was superb. I think my first. Oh yeah, he was electric. Yeah, my first uh, game back in the league when I when I come back, I think he scored two, didn't he, against Portsmouth on the opening game, and uh, one was a yeah. salmon, a great header, you know, salmon salmon like header, and then another good finish. And in spells, he was he was top draw. Um, but yeah, I just he could back from a free kick as well, couldn't he, Cast? Yeah, he was. He, he had he had the lot. He had every finish, every finish in the locker. Um, yeah. And he was he was sharp over over a short short space as well, short area. And, but like I say, just could never really sustain his fitness. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. And obviously, Gary, you you moved on to to Birmingham. Was that quite a quick deal? Sort of, how did that come about? And what were your feelings when you're sort of leaving Coventry and and joining Steve Bruce? It weren't, to be honest. When I, I go back to saying, I think when we was in America pre-season, that's when Mickey pulled me the first time and said that he'd had a call from Steve Bruce who'd offered a million quid to to buy me. and But he told him to F off, where to go. And he said, you don't want to leave the year. And I was like, no, I don't know anything of it, to be honest. But um, that was that. That was that for me. But the year before, the year before when I was out of contract, the year before I'd signed a three-year contract and uh, I actually had discussions with uh, Steve Koppel and Brian McDermott and um, Nicky Hammond who were at Reading and Reading wanted to take me but I seen it as a sideways move you know they were in the champ similar similar club really to Kov you know not really nailed on playoffs always there or thereabouts just below yeah. it and it, also we were moving to the Rico that first year and I thought, I've, I remember having a chat with Steve Staunton and he said, you know, you, you've got to have, you've got to play in the Rico, haven't you, as a, as a Cov kid? And I said, yeah, I have. Of course I have. And, and in the end, in the end, Coventry offered me a better deal than Reading. And I was always going to stay, don't get me wrong, but but then that was the year Reading went up on 106 points to the Prem. And I looked I looked back and I thought, bloody hell, I'd be in the Prem now. And uh, so when Bruce did come in the year later, Again, it they they just got relegated to the champ, but but I didn't see Birmingham as a sideways move because I looked obviously then I looked into that I looked at the squad I didn't pay any attention to anything but when the call got made and I got made aware of it I looked at the squad and I thought you know that's some that's some yeah. squad yeah I mean it had like Mike Taylor goalie it had 
Bridie, Joidi, Bruno and Gotti, Stephen yeah. Kelly, Matty Upson, Clements, David Dunn, Mikhail Forsell, loads of players, you know, Bentner, Larson, Moamba, Cameron Jerome. You know, I looked at it and I thought, that's that's some squad that for championship football, that would that would probably be a nailed on chance to play premiership football and uh, they come back in then with a million and a half, uh, two million and it went on for a month eventually. Then Mickey said to me, you know, look, if you want it to happen, you're going to have to put in a transfer request. I says, Mickey, come on, mate. You know, I says, you know, like I'm from Coventry and I know, I know the club need, I know the club want the money as you wouldn't yeah. be, you wouldn't yeah. be entertain, you wouldn't be entertaining it. You'd just get my new deal sorted sharpish and, and it, that would be it. We'd be nipped in the bud. But he was ultimately saying you need to hand in a transfer because I said, well, I'm not going to hand the transfer request in. I'm from Coventry, you know, I want to be able to walk these streets and go and have some food with my family in peace, you know, and not be, not be hated, if you like. And, yeah. Because, uh, you know, it was quite, I did get a few awkward situations at times, but ultimately it ended up like a mutual thing. I said, well, look, accept an offer and I'll say that, I'll, yeah, I want to go and speak to them. So that's that's what it was. It, eventually they accepted an offer. Back then it was something like 2.35 million upfront money and then it was add-ons and the add-ons, I think a million and a half quid come in add-ons within a year because we got promoted to the Prem. Yeah. I, met, I, I got all the appearances and then in the Premiership I got to, uh, I think if I played 20 in the Premier League, Coventry got another maybe half a million or something. So within within a year and eighteen months, they had all all the money really. So um, it was the club got a good deal out of it, and uh, yeah. and ultimately I got yeah we got promoted, and it was um I joined a great team, and and you know we I, I continued my form and probably played some of the best football in my career. Similarly, you uh, obviously rejoined Cov um, on a free transfer. Was that an easy decision to come back to the Sky Blues? Did you have many other clubs wanting you at the time, or was it just oh, I want to come back to my home yeah, there team? Was, there was there was a few. There was a few. I, I met. I remember meeting um, Phil Parkinson, who was Charlton manager at the time. Um, I had a good chat with him. What killed me a little bit was I just had a I just had a loan at Leeds, and oh yeah, I remember um, that. But I was sitting on the I was sitting on the bench for Birmingham in the Premier League, and I went on loan to Leeds at the top of League One. And Leeds was it was a great club, it, and I was desperate to play. And looking back now, you wouldn't you know unless you're a kid going out for first team experiences, you wouldn't go to League One from the Premier League. So no. it wasn't uh, the greatest of decisions from myself and people around me. But um, ultimately. I, I did. I did okay there for the first half a dozen games or so. Picked up an injury, and then couldn't didn't get back in the team. And my performance levels weren't probably good enough to get back in the team. And in that summer, then I thought, right, well, I'm, I've got a few options. But ultimately, I should have just stayed at Birmingham, sat on the bench for the rest of the season, got an appearance here and there, and then I'd have been in a position in the summer to probably pick and choose. You know. But you're, you're a kind of player that would want to play though, aren't you? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So I, I was looking at it, well, I want to go to Leeds and yeah. earn, earn a, a three-year contract in the summer because I was still at an age where I'd have got a three-year contract off them. But ultimately, looking back now, you, you, players don't go, do they? They don't move unless it's a necessity. They don't move, they just stay there. Yeah. and they, they still get their moves. They still move to that next step down or an, another another big club on permanent contracts you don't really see the too many loans nowadays if it's not really in with a view to a permanent and stuff like that you know mm -hmm. 
in the summer I met AD. Uh, AD rang my agent and spoke to him for a couple of days and I met AD. It was it was great. Um, breath of fresh air, you know, really felt like wanted again. And yeah, did a couple of days medicals and stuff, a couple of days negotiating because at first, honest, at first day, the negotiating was like, this don't get me wrong, it, it was it was good money in, in a in the everyday world, but yeah. In terms of coming Football. coming back, it would have been less it would have been less than what I left on four, mm. four years yeah. prior with forty five Premier League appearances and I'm about in that time. So yeah. um it took a couple of days to get to where we wanted to get. But um it was no it was it was honestly I was buzzing to be back, you know, I was just it was just like there was a weight off my shoulders and the shackles were off and, and I think I had a good pre season that see I started I think I started quite well. I come back from Birmingham, in my opinion, I don't think many fans would agree with me. I come back a more intelligent player. Yeah. I, I knew the left midfield role inside out. Um, a lot of the out of possession stuff was... Because when I was at Birmingham, Bruce was really good, but then Alex, Alex McLeish come in and very kind of like, didn't want to get beat. All, first and foremost, let's not lose. So it, we were very, <laughs> very structured and hard to beat. And... That had an effect on me, though, in terms of my goals. And I was always judged on goals. I know I come back and put put a good shift in, to be honest, and felt I had a decent enough first season. But I only got, I think, nine goals. So that was seen as, God, nine goals for Coventry. That's, that, that's failure, you know. And that, that's, how, that's how it was perceived, I think. And that's, what, that's the impression I got. But, um, but like you say, it was a lot of the off the ball. And it was spent a lot more time not directly in front yeah. of goal and yeah I, I come back I think I come back a better team player I was yeah I was a more rounded team player whereas when I left I was that exciting individual that would win the game and be the difference but I could probably get away with tracking back as much you know what I mean yeah going to Birmingham if, if you weren't willing to do that work when you play at that top level if you don't put the shift in you drilled in yeah you get found out and and you're not going to play yeah and nine goals isn't bad is it really you look back, it's not a bad times, is it? It weren't, it weren't bad, but I always, you know, I was my biggest uh, critique, really, and I mm. always set myself high targets, but I knew I was doing okay, I knew I was playing okay, and, and we, were a good, we were a good team, you know, to be fair, and still can't believe the next year that team went down from the champ because mm. too many good players to, to go down, and I think on our day, we, we gave anyone a game in the league. So what do you put that down to, Gary, going down? Can't really put my finger on it to be honest. I, don't, no. I just think I just think end product probably wasn't good enough, was it? I think we mm. had I think we had two of the best centre arse in the league in Keogh and Craney. They had a really good partnership. We had Woody as well, who was good at centre back. So Craney would often play full back as well. I just probably think the the end product wasn't there from in in uh, at the top end of the pitch really. And we've already spoke about a lot of the players that you you've played with, Gary. If you had to pick like a five-a-side team uh, with you know including yourself, so a goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, and a fellow sort of striker, who would that who would that be? For the five-a-side team, I put in my time at Coventry. I probably Westwood would go in goal because you know he was he was a good outfield player yeah. as well, and five-a-side pitch, he could probably have a shot from long range as well. Um, <laughs> then as a defender, Stevie Warnock. Because he was, he was just like in train. He trained how he played. You know, he just, yeah. he just used to, he just used to bury people. Honestly, he was, he had such a good tackle on him, and uh, but he could play as well. Tidy left foot, composed, 
and really put a shift in and, and you know, was, was a good trainer. Midfield then, I had either Doyler or Dennis Wise. Um, I think you're going to get more discipline out of Doyler because in, in training, in five-a-sides, Dennis Wise used to score loads of goals but not really hold his shape. So it was it's a difficult one. But then um, up front with myself was Robbie Keane. You know, Robbie Keane, when he came to the club, was just... He was just different, different, different class, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Raised the bar. You know, we, I think we sold Huckabee, didn't we, to Leeds and looked for some, some sort of replacement and uh, to get Robbie Keane in from, from Wolves, who were a championship club. You, you weren't wondering whether he could step up, but wow, the first couple of training sessions, he was just fearless, you know, fearless, played off the cuff, impact, you know, just, used to nutmeg people and, and his finishing his finishing was at that point I probably felt, felt I was up there with the best finishers at the club you know even being a youngster in the youth team yeah but his his finishing was just unreal you know his disguise in his finishing his contact his cleanness on the ball his clean contact crisp finishing um, his touch his movement it was just electric I'm trying to think of what age he was when he came to the, to Coventry now because he was I can't I think, think he was. Going back I think now. he was. I think he was nineteen. Yeah, he was a teenager. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was nineteen, so I think he'd done a scholarship at Wolves and yeah. maybe, maybe a one-year pro. And then he come to come to Coventry probably at nineteen. I'm sure. What was he like off the pitch? Uh, just, yeah, nice, nice lad. Yeah, nice, nice lad. You know, all, all the Irish boys are that have come mm. through at Coventry. They're all 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 approachable, all respectful. Um, come from good families and yeah Robbie was the same I didn't get to know him that much I only played with him a few times uh, during that season and then he moved on after one year because he yeah. did so well um, but now he's what a player right. what a career probably yeah, some, of, some of Coventry's yeah. worst sort of business wasn't it I think with what he then went on to do from um, Inter because I think he went did he go for sort of six mil and then after that he went still on record sale that is yeah, no, he, we we bought him, I think, for six, six or seven, yeah. and then sold him for thirteen, I think. Yeah, and then bought Bellamy in, bought Bellamy in for six after him, didn't we? So that, was, that didn't go down very well, did it? It, it didn't, but you know, <laughs> but he's had a great career, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, very. He went on to have a good career as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah brilliant. And uh, hopefully, there'll be many young Sky Blues fans listening who want to know. You know, they want to be the next Gary McSheffrey and become a City legend. What advice would you have for youngsters out there that are possibly listening to the podcast? I think, obviously, first and foremost, you have to, as a kid nowadays, you, you've, you've got to love the game, haven't you? You've got to watch football for a start. Watch watch football, have have idols, have heroes that you want to replicate and go and practice and train and you know be, be dedicated to it, really. I think you always need to look at it now, especially coaching now, and I look and I see, well, why is he ahead of you? Well, because he's, he's actually putting more in, he's doing more. So you can't really let others, you, you've got to think that no one's doing more than you. If, you. if you're one step ahead and putting the effort in and putting the, the practice in, then, you know, you'll get, you'll get your rewards at the end of the day. If, if you're good enough and you've got the right attitude, you'll get there and get your rewards, especially at a club like Coventry, where the reputation of the academy of, of, of recent years has, has been really good. And if you're good enough, you'll get thrown in. Yeah, and there's players, like we said, you know, Madison and, and 
perhaps Tom Bayliss of, of recent years that have gone on and you know gone on from Coventry. They've come through that youth that youth academy, and I think I think even at, at the current system, there's, there's a lot of young players that seem to be doing really well, and this the academy still seems to be churning out some you know top quality players, which is this sort of business system that the, the club has as well, of course, and, and very important for for the finances as well as obviously the, the squad performances. Yeah, I mean the last few years has been really good you know they they churned out like a conveyor belt I think they're I think they hit a bit of a I think there's been a bit of a patch probably of a a couple two or three year age group where I don't think you're probably going to see much much come through but then I I know that they're really happy again with you know the current kind of like under 15 16s that are going to be joining as apprentice as as scholars next year for example so you could see like uh, the, the start of a probably three-year cycle where you, you look you look two or three years down the line and there could be a few coming off that bout again, you know, that are, are really good. Post-playing days. Um, so what are you up to now, Gary? Obviously, like everyone else in the country, I'm on lockdown at home with yeah. uh, with all the kids. It's it's a madhouse at the minute. But, um, but no, in, in terms of work-wise, so since life after Carver, I, I went on and played, obviously... For clubs up in South Yorkshire and uh, North Lincolnshire, and I did the rounds a little bit at Chesterfield, Scunthorpe, Doncaster, Grimsby. Had a yeah. stint, had a stint at Eastleigh, and then found myself chasing, found myself chasing football really, and chasing football for just for wanting to play and the love of it. But it mm. was get, it was getting a bit inconvenient for the the actual returns and the actual money. I was putting a lot of effort and time in, and yeah. For, for little combat, little reward really, and uh, decided to took a role at Doncaster uh, as the assistant 18s coach two summers ago. And I thought I'll, I'll train and still probably play, you know, part time, non league, and uh, just do the two. But then that that role escalated quite quickly, and um, yeah. So this year I've been doing the been full time there really uh, for 18 months, and I've been doing the under 23s and still daily still do the under 18s daily still work with them daily and do all the games but i lead the under 23 games and the training program as well so it's it's quite a busy role and dipping in and just just mucking in really because we haven't got the we haven't got loads and loads of staff staff like category one category two academies you know we're a cat free academy but it's uh yeah it's a good it's a good club it's a good setup i live up here now so it's it's very convenient for me to work here and enjoying it and uh just getting my foot on the ladder and learning my learning the learning the ropes as they say playing at a top level like you have and we spoke about managers like Steve Bruce is that something that you've been able to draw upon you know for for your role now in football football is a strange one because you 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 lose touch with a lot of people you keep in touch with obviously a, a good few that you you class as as good friends and stuff but they come and go and it's like ships in the night sometimes you know but then when you see them again it's almost like you've you've never been apart and uh there is there's lots of lots of contacts yeah that could call upon and advice ask for advice and stuff and i yeah i do really want to learn the ropes and learn the role and take in as much as i can uh, but sometimes it's difficult to do that you know when you're actually in a full-time environment and and yeah. doing it so so a lot of it's just learning Itself, on the job yeah, learning, no, learning on the job and but, but i'm in i'm in great hands at doncaster with um Darren Moore, Jamie Smith. Uh, yeah, they've they've done they've done 
they've done a lot at West Brom in terms of the development side of the game. They've coached from the the kids to the 18s to the 23s, and then obviously the first team. So the way they the way they plan and prep and do sessions, it's it's definitely the way that I like to do things. So I'm 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 in a good place for for learning. You know, although it's although like I say, it's a it's a cap free academy. It's a really good. Uh, grounding for me and we're all under the same roof on the same training ground so it, it takes me back to my days really as, as an apprentice and you know they can they can learn from the pros and, and see see how disciplined and the standards and levels you have to you have to set yourself to make it I was going to say that actually how much does it differ from from perhaps you know the football when you were growing up in the academy and 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 perhaps what they're like now is it is it very much different or it's different. It's different, yeah. Because, um, well, for one, you, you, you're dealing with a different, a different breed now of character of kid. You yeah. know, but the way the way we bring kids up now, the technology and everything, it's it's different, isn't it? They're not as for me streetwise. They're not as um, they don't really use their intuition that much. I think they want everything mapped yeah. out. They want everything mapped out for them, and it's almost like we're looking for like leaders and problem solvers decision makers on the pitch and some of them just look at you like they want instruction after instruction rather than yeah. just go in and just go and excite me you know go and impress us uh show show us what you've got take the game by the scruff of the neck and and deal with it but um it it has it has changed you know the, the way you approach young players now the way you the way you speak, listen if i speak to some of the lads how how what i've got spoken to coming <laughs> up then I'm not, I'd have been out, I'd be out of a job and I, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a safeguarding certificate or you know the yeah. the, the checks you have for, for kids it's you, you wouldn't have it. it it can't happen in the modern day and, and uh, I guess they're not washing eight cars either yeah so I, I couldn't say yeah <laughs> go and wash that car because straight away he probably chucked my keys back and say no no I'll go to HR <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah you, you can't get away with stuff like that um, and also at the top clubs you're given so much longer now as well because. Yeah. So I'm in a 23s role and an 18s role, but back then it was like, right, if you if they see you're a good player at 17, they'll probably offer you a two-year pro, which gives you till 19 to make it. By 19, yeah. then got to be affecting the first team. Nowadays, you've you've got under 23 groups, cat one clubs, cat two clubs, where you you've got 22-year-olds still playing in the under 23 development league instead of going to play for like I don't know, Leamington. In, yeah. the, in the National League North or Alfreton Town or, you know, clubs in the area that, that you could go and play men's football from, from 17, 18. So it, for me, it has its it has its pluses, don't get me wrong. But I think when you're, you're given a lot more time nowadays and it, it can be it can become very comfortable for players because you're also given, not at our club, and at our club it's ground, the money's not good. It's, it's, it's about hunger, show us that you're hungry and then, then the rewards will come. Yeah, but exactly. At some clubs, the the money is unbelievable uh, before they've even kicked the ball, you know. And, yeah. Uh, just to just to keep the competition of the other clubs away, they get good contracts. So the hunger levels for Drop. me pro- probably aren't there. Yeah. You know, when you first came on the scene, very young, and you've been playing against you know playing against proper sort of big old thirty year old lads, uh, and like you say now that eighteen twenty three, it allows people to come 
more through the system probably growing like you mentioned madison for example like he shot up and he yeah. probably would have had to perhaps if it was back in your day he may well have um been given the old famous sort of commentary city kevin keegan <laughs> too small um yeah well do, do you know what they are now though to be fair to them they're they're different animals as well nowadays that they're, they're on a program they're on a training program from probably 12 as soon as they hit the youth development phase of 12 to 16 they're probably on a a strength and conditioning program in the gym not so much body not so much heavy weights and stuff but really getting your mobility getting your power getting your pace uh they're really prepped earlier now for elite level football so when yeah. they when they come to 16 17 and you see these kids getting into first teams and getting a taste of it you look at them and think wow they're so physically developed they're, they, they look ready they look like athletes and uh so one thing i would say is that they are the ones that make it. It's it's not really through luck these days. They have put, you can tell they've put the effort in and the time and, you know, throughout the academy and yeah. prob- probably in their personal time to to really be in tip-top condition because nowadays if you're an athlete and that's half the battle now, yeah. pe- people will take an athlete with pace now and teach them how to control the ball. It so, does uh, seem that, doesn't it? It's everything <clears throat> sort of become that sort of bigger, stronger, faster, fitter, that that's sort of where football feels like it's gone a little bit and probably shows why we have so many wing backs and that sort of style now because it is a lot more about fitness levels and being able to play at that high pace and momentum. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the pace of the game, if you went and watched a premiership game now and the pace of the game is just, just unreal, isn't it? The pitches are firmer. So the the, the sprints, there's more sprints um, accelerations decelerate all this sports science that's come into it so for me now that if you're a great player but you can't get around the pitch then you're gonna you're probably gonna go and play for like boston united or something and be the best player in the national league north because even at level even at leagues one and two now you've seen coventry this year how fluent they are on the ball and how quick they are and crisp in their passing and then bang the fullbacks the wingbacks are, are away and they're in behind and the pace how quick they move that ball and Doncaster are similar and there's, there's three or four teams in that league that Oxford were the same you you're not going to make it nowadays if you if you can't get around the pitch and you're not athletic enough and what about sort of grassroots football um do you think that that's in a much better place perhaps than it has been in in the past I know that the FA have put in a lot of different procedures and, and, and bits in place and I think a lot of people have been encouraged to take their badges and coaching even at the sort of most junior sort of level do you think grassroots football is in a, a, a much better place than it perhaps has been in the past well yeah I think again I just think you, you we're in that era where everyone a, a lot of young coaches start start at grassroots get their badges at probably 17 18 and by the time they're 30, some of them have got really good jobs in top academies because they've had that experience, you know. Gone are the days where you have to have played the game to get a coaching role. You know, there's there's young coaches at Coventry that are really good, but they've got, you know, 10 years experience on someone like myself where I've got the experience of playing on the pitch. They've got 10 years experience of addressing a team and putting a team out and how you want them to play and, you know, um, how you interact with kids. The, the young coach nowadays, the modern young coach, has got a real opportunity regardless of whether you've played the game. And It's all starting at grassroots now. The Like you say, the courses that the FA put on for them. I've gone to on the Advanced Youth Award this year and it's a lot of, a lot of 
beginning at the core block there is a lot of grassroots coaches there as well and uh it's it, it is in a good place i think the players the the amount of young players that the country's producing over the last few years can only can only be good for the country and, and for the future of football i'm just going to take it back to coventry and uh your time there do you have a favorite goal i, I remember you scoring so many goals at, at the time but is there a goal that really sticks out in your memory is there anything that you've got perhaps up on your wall or um <clears throat> so i don't know if you remember but my first ever goal was at palace away and uh yes was, i remember it it was magnus headman basically took a, a quick free kick because he seen me make a run and i remember gary breen or i watched gary breen screaming at him to slow it down because we were two one up just to slow it down, but you see me make a run and he's pinged a 60, 70 yard pass and I've controlled it with my right foot on the volley and volleyed the next one in through the goalie's legs. And uh, I look back now and I think that was was a good goal, but I didn't really think much of it at the time. But I love touch, Trevor Francis' face. Yeah, the touch and the finish was good. And then um, <laughs> again, there was, there was a couple few goals where I think there was a free kick at Wolves that was, I was prob- just about to say that, there. yeah. Um, and then the last day at Highfield Road was good, and the Chef U goal that I spoke about earlier at Highfield Road. There was, yeah, there was, there was some good ones. There was lots of tappings, but yeah, probably three <laughs> or four that, that stay in the memory. Yeah, what about that one Burnley, Gary. Yeah, Turf more when you chipped in. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was a good one as well. I mean, I look, I remember some some of them Burnley players that they come, they played at Cobb, didn't they? Um, yeah, Foxy, Corky, um, mm. they had a good team, and yeah, no, that was just. That was a nice one, but I forgot about that, to be honest. But yeah, yeah just nice. reminded me. Well, the time has absolutely flown and we've covered so much. We could probably cover so much more, but that is the end of the show. Gary, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And on behalf of commentary fans and the thousands of Sky Blues Extra podcast listeners, we thank you for your incredible, memorable and passionate contribution you made whilst wearing the Coventry City shirt. It was a pleasure watching you over the years and even a bigger pleasure to discuss your Sky Blue story with us this evening. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Andy. It's been a pleasure, mate. Anytime. And listeners, don't forget to like, share and comment on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. And if you do want to contact us, you just need to use the hashtag SkyBluesExtraPodcast. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra Podcast. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.